I once got 17 mosquito bites in under four minutes. I am not exaggerating. It was a very hot and humid day. It was woodsy, but 17. I am no longer going to be getting bug bites, mosquito bites in particular, because I use One Earth Body Care's Bite Me Not Natural Bug Spray. It's powerfully effective against mosquitoes, black flies, and no seams. Oil of lemon eucalyptus gives four-hour-plus protection. It's deep-free, does not absorb into bloodstream with bio-vanillin and essential oils for a warm, fruity aroma. It is 15% off until the end of June 2023. And if you forget to put on your Bite Me Not Natural Bug Spray, be sure to pick up their Itch Be Gone. It is a wonderful, soothing salve, an herbal infusion with essential oils to calm insect bites and inflammation. I swear by this. I wake up in the middle of the night itchy. I put this on, I go right back to sleep. It's amazing. So please go to oneearthbodycare.com, 15% off their Itch Be Gone and their Bite Me Not, and check out all of the other great stuff. They've got shampoo bars, conditioner bars, they've got stuff for your pets, they've got dry skin care, and so much more. Check them out, oneearthbodycare.com. Does your dog do? Well, here to talk to us about this today in his fantastic book is Scott Hammond, Finding Caleb. And I'm super, oh, Benji, what, Benji, hi, honey. Anyway, we don't edit that out on dog ear. That's my lab, chewing on something. I just cleaned out my office, so I don't know what he found. But anyway, (laughs) Scott C. Hammond writes about his experience finding lost people in the Western wilderness with his dog, Boo. He is a committed teacher, Utah State University, an award-winning author, a speaker, and is regularly heard on radio and podcasts nationally. He is also a member of one of the best search and rescue teams in the United States, where he is involved with about 50 mountain rescue missions a year. Scott Hammond is here. Scott, does your dog do what? Oh, he dreams in really strange ways. And I think because he's a search dog, he dreams about searching. I, Of course, I don't know what he dreams about, but... But because I hear him like make an alert bark and then and then he'll you'll you'll hear him whimper a little just like he does in a search training. He 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 does it in his sleep. Oh, wow. Scott, when did your love of dogs begin? You know, it began uh, when I was a child. I, I just had a pet. But I my understanding of dogs began when I started doing search and rescue training for dogs. And I realized that dogs are not just cuddly little fun things. They are incredible animals that can make human life better, and they want to serve us. Oh, absolutely. Well, I really enjoyed your book. I learned so much. And before we jump in, I just want to talk a little bit about search and rescue dogs. I read some interesting characteristics. I would wonder if this is true, that they have, they're in good health, intelligence, high energy, confidence, they have a high level of play drive, especially with the ball, and they're able to focus for a long period of time. That that sounds, I would imagine that's pretty accurate. And is that what you find as well? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. But, you know, the bottom line is this. Uh, do they love you and want to work for you? Oh. And, you know, that that's just it. I mean, the other things are good characteristics. Sure. But um, if they want to work for you, if they want to please you, if they want to serve you, then they want to. Then they've got what it takes. And also, uh, the other thing a search dog needs to be is it needs to be a stout dog because they're going to go in places that little dogs can't go, or you know, kind of weak dogs can't go. They're going to go in marshy land and swim through 
things that you and I wouldn't step in and, you know, things, they're just going to be driven to go places that um, normally wouldn't be easy for other dogs to go. Now, jumping into the book, I love this kid. He's 16 and he's talks about being in, in a generic bedroom community in Massachusetts. I live in a bedroom community in yeah. Massachusetts yeah. and he's looking for an article for Mr. White's class. Yeah. And he has this very emotional reaction to something that he found. Tell us a little bit about this. So Caleb is, you know, dropped in the new kid in, in uh, this little Massachusetts community where uh, my mom lives in a Massachusetts bedroom community like that. So, you know, you know, and uh, and he's just the new kid in town, but he's from out west and they call him the cowboy. And, you know, he's not really known by anybody. And he reads the article and the headline is Beloved Search Dog Dies. And he breaks down in front of the classroom and starts to cry. And I wanted to portray, the first thing in this book I wanted to portray is that kids are not all bullies and jerks. Right. They're compassionate and kind. And so they're really kind towards this kid. And they put their arm around him and say, tell us the story. And the book is the story. The book is the story of him um, and how he was lost in the Wyoming wilderness and how he had uh, to be found and uh, how this dog found him and the bond that was built between him and the dog. And so um, now the first part of the, that's the first part of the story, really. And the second part of the story is, is uh, the story from the searcher's perspective of looking for Caleb. Yeah, that was really fascinating because there was a, so many things that I didn't know. And I, I really like how you built the character and, you know, he, he, his family sent him away to live with his aunt and, he just wasn't happy there. And he just thought, you know what? I'm just, they were at a picnic, I think. And he's like, I'm just going to walk through the mountains and just go, but not really thinking it through like a lot right. of kids. Yeah. Really typical of people that we often look for is that they have some kind of warped sense of the geography of things. So I'm in Wyoming. I can walk to Iowa, you know, no big deal, you know, uh, uh, out here in the West, we get all the time uh, people saying, well, I just thought I'd drive over to Nevada for the day. And you're going, well, uh, you know, it's kind of takes a day to get to Nevada and a day back. You know? Yeah. And you, and you give this great description too. quote, as I bushwhacked my way up the next ridge, my throat felt like tree bark. My lips were dry and my tongue was swelling, but I kept going saying I would eat and drink once I was over the ridge and could see home. But at the top of the ridge, the only thing I could see was another ridge, that sense of, oh, the next ridge, the next, and, and the fear of like, holy crap, this is just going to keep going. So what happens is that one of two things happen. You either go into despair and say, start beating yourself up and saying, I really blew it here and now I'm going to die, you know, that kind of thing. Or you have this turning moment where you say, okay, I've made a mistake now I need to forgive myself and move on and try to solve this problem. And that's what Caleb does in the book. And that's what most of the people that we've found, successfully found in the woods do. They have that moment, that turning point where they say, I am not going to die. I'm going to work on this problem until I can survive long enough to be found. I want to jump into Boo. Tell us about Boo. So Boo is a five-year-old golden retriever. And um I had a dog named Dusty who was an incredible search dog and very, um, very good at what he did. But he wasn't this compassionate, friendly, fun dog. He was very serious. Um, and so that's kind of what I was looking for is that kind of a dog. And uh, I went and looked at a lot of litters. You know, the money, the price doesn't matter. 
um, whether they're a pound hound or a high-end uh, hunting dog. I didn't care. I just wanted exactly the right dog. I looked, I looked, I looked. I went to this one litter. It was just a family. They were actually trying to sell them cheap to get rid of them. And, uh, and I met Boo and, uh, and I really felt good about Boo, but he was so different from any dog I've ever had. And, and, uh, and I kind of walked away from it and decided not to do Boo. And about three days later, the owner of this litter called me up and he said, I just feel I need to tell you, this dog was made to search for you. And oh, so wow. I talked to my wife. She always helps me make these decisions. And we decided to to bring Boo in. And I, I think Boo is the best. If he had a better handler, he would be the best search dog on the planet. I'm still doing the, wow. the you know, I'm still learning how to, to accommodate him. But he is really a good search dog. But he's also one of the most compassionate dogs I've ever seen. Um can I tell you a quick story about that? Of course, of course. So a couple of uh, months ago, um, we were called to uh, a missing person um, and uh, look for a person they'd been missing for three days in an area where you knew that uh, they probably had not survived. And um, we found uh, the body of this young man. And of course, it's it's hard for me. It's hard for anyone, but it's also hard for the dog to find, to have a find like that. And so we did what we do professionally. We block off the area. We uh, notify everyone. We uh, fill out our reports. And after we were done doing that and we were standing in the parking lot, getting ready to leave, um, Boo walked to the other side of the parking lot and sat down next to a young woman who happened to be the sister of this young man we had found. And he sits next to her and nudges her with his nose. And then she looks at him and starts to cry. And he licks the tears off of her face and she hugs him. And then he goes down the row of family members, 10 family members that were there and comforts each of them. I have never seen a dog do that. I've never seen that kind of compassion from human or dog. And so it helps me understand that I am not this dog's owner. Um, I am just his enabler. You know, I'm just going to try to make him a place in the world where he can do what he can do. That was so beautiful. Oh my God, my nose always turns red when I get teared up. Tell that story without tearing up. I can't, I, I have to myself long ago, did that really happen? Um, and dogs are amazing that way. Uh, Boo yeah. is amazing that way. When I speak at schools um, and bring him along, uh, uh, one school I spoke at, 400 students. And who does he go sit next to while I'm talking? He finds the autistic kid who and goes and sits next to him. And at the end of my speech, the, prof- the, the, the third grade teacher comes up and she's in tears and she says, that aut- that young boy was autistic. I didn't know this. That young boy is autistic. He hasn't said anything all year, and now he can't stop talking. Um, so you know, dog- yeah, dogs can feel this. They they can feel things we can't feel and see things we can't see, and they're so amazing that way. Yeah, they really are. When did you first get interested in search and rescue? Uh, I, you know, there was a young man missing in our mountains that I thought I'd go up and help. And I took my pet along 
And uh, they wouldn't let me search for him because he wasn't a trained search dog. And I was kind of disappointed. And so I found a group of canine search and rescue people and trained with them and learned a lot about dogs. But it wasn't until I joined the county search and rescue team where I learned the whole big picture of search and rescue and where we got deployed enough times that we can use our dogs, you know, um, you know, Boo does not want to sit around and wait for to go out once or twice a year. He wants to go out every week if he could or every day if he could. And so with our county search and rescue team, we get called out about 120 times a year. Not always dog uh, call outs, but about 120 times a year. And that gives us a lot more practice and keeps us a lot busier. How long ago was this? So I, it was about 18 years ago. I, you know, I kind of think of things in terms of dogs, dog lives, uh, because I, I first had Dusty and, um, Dusty was a very good search dog. He could solve problems that nobody else. We had some finds where, you know, we were looking for somebody that had been flown over and droned over and walked by and all of these different things, but the dog finds them. Uh, uh, because humans miss them, you know, humans make those mistakes. And, uh, that's, he was a very good dog, but Boo is a special dog. He's a, a dog that, um, you know, he, he's just got some emotion to him that, uh, is, is special and comforting. And, and so I, I've just been very privileged to have him as a work partner. No, oh, that's wonderful. What advice do you have for people listening who have the type of dogs you mentioned in the beginning where they're bigger, they'll go through mushy water and they'll, you know, do these types of things? What are some first steps? Well, it, you really have to start uh, to train a search and rescue dog the minute they come into your family. And that should be usually in the first eight to 10 weeks of their life. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so you have to start very early on with runaways, we call them, where you're teaching the dog to play hide and seek. And then you reward. And then the big thing about uh, with a dog uh, that's any dog really can learn to find something. That's part of being a wolf. You know, they know how to find um, things. But the recall, the come back and get you after the find is what you have to train them to do. And so as soon as they make the find, they should within three seconds have turned around and come back to the handler. And that's what we have to teach. That's what we work on on teaching them. That's where most of our training is, is on the recall. But you add ever increasing problems. So, uh, you know, at first it's just a simple runaway hide and seek, and then you make it more complicated, more complicated. And then you teach them how to track and follow a trail and use their nose. And then you teach them how to find other scents like, uh, you know, cadaver scent. Uh, and then you also maybe have to teach them how to work around water and work in the water and work in avalanche. We don't do a lot of work in the water when I don't, but he's a very good avalanche dog and can find people oh, wow. in an avalanche too. Oh my goodness. So we have to, we have to um, cross train our dogs, train them in a lot of areas. Most dogs are, um, specific of, to one kind of a discipline. So there'll be avalanche or cadaver or something. Uh, uh, but uh, in our search and rescue team, we have to cross train because we never really know what we're going to be called out to do. And we have to be the first ones there. And uh, so we have to cross train. Now, now that this 
interview is going to be airing in the summer and a lot of people go on vacation. A lot of people go to national parks or different places where they're out and about and hiking. What do you think causes people to primarily get lost, especially like in the wilderness? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Not being prepared for the terrain that they're going to be in because, you know, we are different in the West than we are in the East. I spent a lot of time in the East with my mom and a lot of time in the West with my family here. And these are two very different kind of terrains where in the West, you can kind of look at the mountains and tell where you are and follow the river um, downstream and, and find yourself. There are some things you can do in the East. When you're in a flat forest, it's easy to get lost. You could be lost 200 yards from a freeway and not know it because the trees oh are absorbing gosh. the sound. And so being situationally aware of where you are and where things are and being aware of your environment is very important. Um, very important. Then being prepared to take your 10 essentials with you all the time. And uh, then the other thing, Lisa, that I always say, and this is so important, is never be afraid Never worry about asking for help. Most of the people who call are, you know, they call 911 and say, I'm lost. And most of the people who do that, within 30 seconds, we can ping their phone and tell them where they are and how to get out. So most people can can get help very quickly and very easily. It doesn't mean we're going to send a helicopter and 50 people up the mountain to save you. We only do that when you're in trouble. Now, what are the 10 essentials? So the 10 essentials, um, you can find that online, but it would be water, food, a, a coat, you know, uh, a way to start a fire, um, some th- all of the things that you could put in a small backpack that are essential items that would allow you to survive 24 to 48 hours without any help. I think anytime you go outside of view of your car, you should have the 10 essentials on your back. And not just because they're very helpful to have these items, but sometimes that's that those just having those items in your pack gives you the confidence you need in a being lost situation to say, I'm okay. Now I can sit down next to this tree, be calm and think my way out of this. Once you have had a wonderful dog, a life without one is a life diminished. That's a quote by author Dean Coots, and I couldn't agree more. I want my wonderful dogs to live as long as possible, and what they eat plays a huge role in their health and longevity. Kibble is full of seed oils that wreak havoc on our dog's health. They damage their microbiome, which affects digestion, oral health, their skin and coat, and more. And that's why I feed my dog Benji Yumwoof. Their air-dried food is GMO-free and has an inflammation-reducing recipe with omega-3 and coconut oil. It's all the benefits of fresh food without the fridge, carbs, fillers, seed oils, and other inflammatory ingredients you see in other brands. Yum Woof obsessively crafted a healthy, low-carb food with humanely raised USDA meat, eggs, and other non-GMO superfoods that my dog loves. Try the number one air-dried dog food for gut health for 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. That's 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. Go to www.yumwoof.com. That's www.yumwoof.com. You and your dog will be so glad you did. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? 
then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com. Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought of this in years. It was probably about three or four years ago. I was, I had three dogs at the time and I was in these woods that I'd only been to a couple of times uh-huh. and it, it was snowing or there was snow. There's probably maybe four to five inches of snow, which I like, and the dogs are having fun. And all of a sudden I realized I usually will like look at certain landmarks or certain trees or I'll put like, if there's a branch on the ground, I'll put it next to the tree in a certain way. So I remember I got completely lost. And I ended up coming out of the woods into this neighborhood. I didn't even know where I was. And my uh-huh. phone had died. I had to knock on a door and say, excuse me, I don't know where I am. I know I'm in, you know, this particular town. But and she said, oh, well, you know, she wrote it down. And it was just endlessly walking on the streets with the snow banks on there. It was awful. So I was like, well, I'm not going to go back oh. through the woods. Yeah. <laughs> it took forever. Yeah. And it was cold. I mean, I was dressed well, but... I hadn't thought of that in so long, but yeah, I, I was scared though. I mean, I knew that this, these woods weren't huge. I knew there was neighborhoods around them, but still I was kind of like, oh my God, I I don't know where I am. Well, isn't it? In, I had a similar experience about 10 years ago where I got in a whiteout in the winter and I was with one other friend and I, and it, I was only lost for 20 minutes, but the psychology that you, the, the, of lostness is very powerful. First of all, the fear is very toxic. It can blind you. It's worse than the snow. You know, it's yeah. going to blind you um, to what's really going on. Um, so the fear is very toxic. And then you stop, you, your focus, it, psychologists understand this, but your focus narrows. So you stop seeing your environment quite literally and you start focusing on like the GPS or the compass or the one thing that you think is going to save you. Whereas other people uh, around, you know, other people see you focusing in on something and you just all you have to do is zoom out to see the world. A few years ago, there was a a fellow um, who was lost in Colorado and he was so focused on getting to the top of a mountain to be able to get his cell phone to work, that he walked right by the search team that had been looking for him. Oh, no. And they looked at him and said, well, he looks like the guy we're looking for, but he looks like he knows where he's going and what he's doing. So the guy walks up to the top of the mountain, gets cell phone service, and calls the search team that he had just walked by, or they patched him into that, and they go find him, and they go, we just saw you on the trail. Oh, is that you? You know, he's so hyper-focused 
on the one thing because he was in the psychology of fear, that that fear trap. Is there any advice you have for like maybe deep breathing or something to help with your anxiety if you're just spinning because you're so panicked? Yeah, if you are alone, and you know, that's actually the one thing I need people to know. I really need them to know is we are going to come. Someone is going to come. It's always good if you tell people where you're going to go. And but but if if we many times all we have is the information. The only information we have is we found your car, and from that. Search and rescue will come. People will come. There are so many people we've looked for who said their first response was, I didn't think anyone will come, would come. I thought oh, it was. Wow. And, and people care. People are compassionate. I've been in searches involving over a thousand people looking. And these are all strangers looking for one person they've never met and probably will never meet. And yet it, there's just, they're there, they're committed, and a lot of them are searching kind of as volunteers under their own uh, nickel, paying for it themselves. That's amazing. I love this quote from the book, superheroes do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Marvel Comics got it wrong. Real superheroes weigh under 100 pounds, have a big wet nose, big heart, or excuse me, have a wet nose, big hearts, four paws, and often a bushy tail. They cannot fly or smash through things. They work quietly and visibly in service to us even though their life expectancy is just 12 to 14 years. Their superpower, a nose that smells 300 to 500 times better than any human and a heart to serve until they can serve no more. That is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. It, it, it's, it, that's how exactly how I feel about my, these dogs. They're so amazing. Now, what was it like writing Finding Caleb? You know, it was a story I had to tell because I wanted to tell. It's written for really a teenage audience. So I've been surprised at how many parents have bought it, um, how many older people have reviewed it. Uh, but it's I, I just had to tell it because I wanted people to know that young people, uh, I, I wanted young people to have a book they could read that didn't involve a wizard or a spaceship, even though I love the wizard books and the spaceship books. Uh, you know, it's it's the real world. Um, yeah. I wanted um, them to understand what it's like to find someone because I wanted them to see it from the eyes of a searcher, how much joy it brings when you find someone, to the dog, to me, to everyone, when you find someone and help them reunite with their family. It's just uh, incredibly rewarding. And I wanted them to experience that emotion and to know that people will be looking for you and care about you if you are missing. And they will look. We will look until we find you. Um, it doesn't go away. You don't ever close down a search. You sometimes cut back a search because you're running out of resources and time and and it's getting too dangerous for the searchers. But you do not ever end a search until you found someone. Now, in the book you write, Finding the Boy created three immediate tasks. So you had to medically assess him, right? And this would be with yes. anyone you find. Uh, you need to contact the incident command, tell them that they found the person. And then they had to give what well, you have to give them water and the dog yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, dogs um, use a lot of water, particularly when they're dangling their tongue out, they're trying to get scent. And so one of the hard things about uh, being a searcher is that if there's no water around, if you're in the desert, like like we are here sometimes in Utah, um, you have to carry two or three gallons 
usually twice as much as you drink the um you have to carry for the dog. Oh wow. You know, another thing I really enjoyed was learning about Nate. And you write in the book, quote, Nate understood this boy, how he needed a normal connection trust, and he needed a friend. Boo could be that friend. He was not running away from Lincoln City, Aunt Marge, and Billy. He was trying to return to normal. Yeah, and, you know, that's the the really part of the book that I, I, I needed to communicate, too, is that it is so normal to be lost, not just in the wilderness, but in work and in life. We all have that experience, and we all we'll learn at some point that caring people will come for us. And uh, and so, you know, we've been lost in junior high. If you've been to junior high, you know what it's oh, like God. to be lost. You know? <laughs> it's true. And this is a series. So Finding Caleb, Search and Rescue Dog series book. The next series, Finding Asher. Tell us a little bit about this. Oh, that one comes out in November. And nice. uh, it's actually based on a true story where we found a woman who had been living in the wilderness for um, six months. And uh, we went up to find, look for her body and she crawled out of the tent. Um, <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. Uh, and she was, you know, suffering from some mental illness. It's also based on a true story where we um, found an autistic boy. And instead of wanting to um, come home to his mother, he wanted to finish the hike that he and his father had planned. His father had died of a heart attack on the trail, and in, and and he said, "I want to finish the hike before I go home." And so the, I kind of combined those two real stories into uh, a book about um, Caleb. In this book, learns how to deal with people who are different, and um, and learns to befriend them, and so does the dog. Oh, that is so. Well, you'll have to come back in November. Was there anything you wanted to add, Scott? And you're always welcome here on Dog Eared. I this I know we this is a, just part of a radio tour, so I, I was lucky to get a half an hour. Oh, you're just so kind. You know, I love talking about dogs. As you, you it's kind of hard to tell, right? But, <laughs> but you know, it, for me, it's a. Uh, I, I just I used to think of my dog as my pet, and they are so much more. And uh, they, this dog, these dogs have saved me, even though I haven't been lost in the wilderness. They've given me new life and new purpose and new things to do and new discoveries. And so I just really, Lisa, appreciate the chance to talk about it. Well, Scott, tell us all the ways we can find you in your wonderful book, Finding Caleb. So Finding Caleb is available on uh, at Barnes & Noble, on Amazon, every, any place you, uh, on Black Rose Writing, which is the publisher. Um, so you can find it there. You can also get it on Audible. I read it on Audible, so I'm, it's read by the author. Nice. And, um, it, uh, and any of the um, audiobook services. And you can find me, and I'd love to talk to anyone about dogs. Uh, so you can find me at findingscotthammond.com findingscotthammond.com. Fantastic. Well, everybody get the book, follow Scott. And I've so enjoyed this conversation. I'm excited to learn more about search and rescue dogs. Also keep coming back, rate, review, subscribe. And while you're here on the same platform is health power. So get healthier yourself, keep loving your dog and keep coming back. Have a great day.